no helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag day. I hope the swag day. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What is going on, folks? Welcome back. Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 48. Alex Dixon here. If you follow Beltway Golfer on Instagram, you may recall a little over a month ago, back in late April, posted about recording a podcast while playing a round of golf with the founders of Holderness and Born, a high-end golf apparel company. Took a while, but got it edited and 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 took uh, over four hours of audio. Got it down to forty-five or fifty minutes, and we've got a podcast with the uh, founders Alex Holderness and John Bourne. It's really cool. The event uh, that uh, we were uh, the podcast in was at East Potomac Golf Links. It was called the Whole Hog Event. We were originally going to do the podcast the night before. Turned out Alex Holderness hurt his wrist, was unable to play in the event. So they called me in and, and asked, could I do the podcast while playing? Never one to uh, turn down a challenge. I said, sure, let's do it, and we'll figure it out. And so we did it. I ended up recording basically everything, which is just kind of why it's taken five or six weeks to put this podcast out, because there's a lot of editing, both in bringing three, four plus hours of footage down to 45 or 50 minutes, but also while most of the audio came out really well, there were some parts where there was a good part of the conversation where it got really windy as we're walking out on the golf course and, and playing the course that um, you'll, you'll notice there's a couple spots where it gets really tinny, and that's because had to remove some of the wind to, to kind of preserve uh, what was happening in the conversation. But for the most part, I thought the audio came out great, and, and it's very different from the podcast we've done and the fact that it's much more of a casual conversation because we're, we're playing golf. So you can hear uh, the swings, the banter within our group, uh, and all the general sounds that you're used to when you're out amidst a golf course. The uh, Holderness and Born. It's uh, you know they've got a they've got a tremendous product. I've got a couple of their polos. I got a pullover. It's just you know it's insanely comfortable and well fitting. We talk a lot about it on how they've they've come to be in the conversation. But I'm certainly a fan. You know they their their clothing is serious business. But w w what I found that was really cool is they don't take themselves too seriously. I had a great time with John Bourne and Alex Holderness. We were playing in a group. It was like a, a, a two-man alternate shot format. So our foursome was effectively eight people. And it was myself and John Bourne. Alex was walking with us, couldn't play. But a couple of the Holderness and Bourne reps, as well as a few folks from Chevy Chase Club, which is you know one of their accounts. So we played with the director of agronomy, director of instruction, and director of golf, all from Chevy Chase Club. If you're watching this on video on YouTube, You'll see, you know, everybody in our group kind of playing. One of the downsides as I was trying to figure out how to how to pull this off was got all the video, all, all the audio, but because I was also trying to do the podcast, trying to do the interview and play in the event, the video didn't get enough video or as, as much video as I should have. So the, uh, the conversation's about 45 or 50 minutes long, got about 25 minutes of good video. And so if you're watching this on YouTube, I just kind of loop that video over a couple times 
but there's some there's some cool footage in there, some cool scenery, and you get to see uh, a lot of swings from from certainly from John Bourne, but a lot of other folks in our in our in our group as well. But it's but it's somewhat rough. Yeah, I hope to do more formats. You know, the, John was the one that kind of pushed this format, and he thought he thought you know thought it'd be a lot of fun, and I'm glad he did because it's something that I've wanted to do for a while. Just wasn't sure I could from a technical standpoint. But I'm hoping to do some more podcasts like this because I think it the result is a really fun conversation and a more natural conversation while you're playing golf. We'll see. We'll see if I can I can do some. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, a couple words about two sponsors of the Beltway Golfer Podcast. First is Four Craft Cocktails. F O R E Craft Cocktails dot com. They've got a pre mixed transfusion in a can, perfect for on and off the course. Premium vodka, ginger ale, grape juice, lime juice, already in the can, ready to go. It's not a mixer. It's already got the booze in it. No reason, no reason to add vodka unless you know you're, you're, you're certainly entitled to. Uh, but it's a refreshing drink. I enjoyed several over Memorial Day weekend. My beer fridge and, and drink fridge here in in my podcast studio slash garage is is stocked with some four craft. Go to fourcraftcocktails.com. They've got a location finder right there on the website. Total Wine and Beverage all over the Northern Virginia carries them. A lot of greengrass facilities, both private and public, are starting to carry them as well. So seek it out if you haven't tried it, fourcraftcocktails.com. Also a new sponsor of the Beltway Golfer Podcast down in Williamsburg, Virginia, part of Colonial Williamsburg Resorts, the Golden Horseshoe Golf Club. It's got 45 holes of golf, two 18-hole championship courses, the Gold, which is Robert Trent Jones' senior design, and the green, which was uh, designed by his son, Reese Jones. The gold, which is really the star of the show, was renovated in 2017 by Reese Jones. Golf Digest's most recent rankings of the top 100 courses that you can play has got the gold course at Golden Horseshoe as number 43, which is a big leap forward since its previous ranking. One of the top-rated courses in the state of Virginia. They've got some great stay-in plays. I was just looking on the website. I think they've got five different lodging options. It's, it's a fantastic property. Tons of history there from the clubhouse. You can walk directly to Colonial Williamsburg. So it's a great option to make a golf trip or, or bring your family down. Uh, they've got packages that are just for golf or that include uh, Colonial Williamsburg. You got Bush Gardens right there. It's, it's, it's a great kind of just quick weekend getaway. Drove down the other day, made it under two and a half hours. Golden Horseshoe Golf Club. You go to ColonialWilliamsburgHotels.com, drop down golf, and you get all your options or do what I do and just drop Golden Horseshoe Golf into Google. And it's the first thing that comes up. But we appreciate them as a sponsor and look forward to getting down, back down to Golden Horseshoe. This is uh, episode 48 of the Beltway Golfer podcast with Alex Holderness and John Bourne, founders of Holderness and Bourne. Enjoy. What hole are we on? 12? Yeah, part 5, 456. You're not trying to win this, are you? I hope not. Because... I don't even know what winning this would look like. <laughs> oh, okay, so we're just trying to make birdies. What'd you have for a number there? I had 156. Perfect. I'd say... Ah. Do we get a, we get one roving Shapiro, right? Free mulligan of your on the whole of your choosing? And Diane okay. McCarty, Di McCarty, she's like this. That's what my dad used to call it. <laughs> a roving Shapiro. I love it. Hey, Alex, what kind of ball? Uh, it's got a, a, a National Links Trucks logo and Union Green. Okay, it's on the fairway. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, see, you know, it's the last place we should have looked, but there it is. Playing the angle. It's 130 on the number. It's a little, it's a little in between clubs for me here. I think I got to be short, not long. 
Somebody's up there tight already. I, I think we got a nice kick. We'll see. <laughs> Give me the, the, the high-level kind of history. Take us back to when you started in 2015. Why did you, you know, what, what did you see that you thought there was a need, a gap, something you could fill? Why did you get started? Sure. Uh, so Alex and I met in business school. We were up at, up at Yale getting our MBAs. Um, both of us ended up there in part because they have a, a great golf course. And so we spent a lot of time playing golf during our time there and uh, kind of formed a friendship around that shared love of golf and an interest in menswear and kind of clothing. And um, we were both the guys in our circle of friends. He was a year behind me in business school where if you're going to get a suit made or you were wondering what the kind of, you know, cool new brand was, you might ask us. And so our friendship started there, just golf, talking golf, talking clothes. And uh, after business school, both kind of went down a, a more traditional track, got jobs, private equity, uh, investment banking, and uh, playing golf on the weekends, meeting up and having drinks in the city and talking about how there was something missing in the golf shop. And it was classically styled shirt that had a better fit and a couple of you know tweaks around the, the collar other design details and we thought why don't we just meet up in the garment district tomorrow morning and try to see if we can make a shirt and that's how it all got started it was a couple of drinks one night and then a trip to the garment district the next morning i mean you guys you know knew a bit about clothing and had some style but you know, I think the average person, unless they go down to the garment district, um, you know, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, we <laughs> didn't much know anything, honestly. I uh, it's 294 to that pin, by the way, so just, I'm just everything you got, gonna... I guess. About thinking about the garment district. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's all right. <laughs> We're advancing the ball. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the thrust of what we were trying to do at that early stage was just make a better golf polo. That was it. And for us, better meant a combination of classic style with a more tailored fit and a more structured collar that was closer to the dress shirts we were wearing, woven shirts we were wearing Monday to Friday, beautiful you know, English spread collar, structured, stood up, frames your face, all that, um, put that on a polo shirt. And that was it. What did, uh, you know, if you went into a golf shop, say a year or two before that, 2013, 2014, you know, describe the shirts that you would buy? That, that, well, they just, they're ill fitting? Yeah, too I mean, boxy? Alex, take that one. Um, yeah, so back then, we, we'd go into golf shops, and um, we'd see shirts that had styling that we liked, but fits that were way too big and baggy and sort of not the fit we wanted. And then we'd find shirts that had a better fit but didn't have the styling we wanted. They were a little bit over-designed, a little bit over-complicated. 
Um, so we just couldn't find that balance of, of styling and fit that we thought was, you know, sort of cool. Uh, so that's, that's what led us to think, well, why don't we give this a crack and design our own? And that's how it started, was just trying to figure out how to make a polo shirt that fit well with the styling we wanted, the collar that we wanted, and the performance material we wanted that didn't look too much like golf costume. Even seven, eight, ten years ago, was there kind of an old guard of clothing manufacturers in the golf, golf space? Sure, yeah. Back then, Ralph Lauren was bigger. You know, you'd see Polo Golf and RLX in more shops. Uh, Peter Millar was already pretty big. Fairway and Green, there were a bunch of great brands in the market, and, you know, those brands are all still around, um, but the market has evolved, you know. We're, we're part of a, a fresh crop of brands like Grayson and Bedratti and others that have come up uh, to try to sort of, you know, put their own point of view into the market. And you and John were working in, in, in finance. You mentioned that uh, had kind of a more traditional role after business school. Um, you know, did that kind of having that background kind of give you some extra confidence that, hey, we can, we can, we can, we can pull this off? I guess so. Yeah. We, you know, it was we, like the spreadsheet stuff doesn't scare us, right? We can do that. Um, and we, we've been in situations by virtue of having some Wall Street experience, corporate experience, where we, we kind of understand some of how, you know, companies are run and, and these decisions get made. But, um, the stuff that we weren't at all experienced in was the creative side and, and knowing anything about apparel. So that was where it was more of a leap of faith, and that's where we, I think, have more fun with it. And when you, when you, t- when you say, are you referring to like learning all the different materials and fabrics and exactly. fits and cuts and all that? Exactly, yeah. Just being, being fluent in the language of the industry and how you bring ideas to life it's very technical but so we had some learning to do about fabrics and all kinds of things related to product design and manufacturing was there like a lengthy learning process before you guys leap, leaped in to kind of yeah there was about a year where we were just prototyping and went on shot. road trips to you know we went on some road trips to visit fabric mills in la and down in north carolina and lumberton where there's a little bit of a fabric uh, is this still while you're out of a day job? or Yeah, yeah, before we quit. A shot. Uh, so I'm going to play tour guide a little bit as well. we got Fort McNair, war, the, the Army War College right here across the oh, Washington that right? Channel. That's yeah. what that is? You used to have a nine-hole golf course right there that closed in 9-11. Wait, what's, what is it? Are you guys in Manhattan now? Or, or are you? I live in Manhattan. The business is based in Rye, which is about 40 minutes north. Uh, yeah, and John yeah. lives in Bedford. All right, so you mind if I make try this putt? Please. Love that rhythm. I saw it bounce. I think we're right. I don't know where the ball went, but the photo looks cool. So I read that you guys have grown to over a thousand accounts in seven years, which congratulations, crazy impressive. But is I'm just curious, like ballpark, like what percentage is traditional? clubs, green grass clubs, you know, golf courses, right. country clubs, that right. sort of thing, versus like a club pro guy, like kind of like an online, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know what, do you have a term for those those type of accounts? Yeah, th- those fall into a sort of specialty retail bucket, um, and I guess you could sort of round numbers or rough, rough type 
numbers 80-20, right? Like sure. at least 80% of that count that you mentioned is green grass, and that's a mix of private clubs and public facilities, places like Pinehurst and Pebble Beach that stock the brand. And uh, and then we're fortunate to work with No Laying Up and other sure, right. non, non-green grass golf entities that have websites that sell merch and things like that so we you know we think of it as we're a golf brand we we are eager to partner up with people doing cool things in the game of golf whether that's facilities that have golf courses or new media like no laying up doing interesting things to bring a younger generation into the game and get them excited about it look at that buttery nice shot john deft major back foot slippage Hey, it's Scotty Scheffler action, man. It is interesting to see a guy with a swing that isn't, you know, one of those perfect, like, whatever, Tiger-emulated swings that the youngsters do now. Come out and just, like, get to number one and keep winning. And it'll be fun to see Scotty. I hope he can keep it up. I I like how he carries himself, you know. He seems like a really good guy. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of that. I think it was really – it showed in this year's Masters – I remember I was watching. Was he paired up with Tony Finau and yeah, one round and so. watching yeah. those two because Finau is another guy who like yeah just murders the ball yeah. But you look at his swing, it's like a flick. Yeah, it's like, it's a like, little, it's like, like that's not how they teach it. Finau's swing to me like defies physics because maybe I guess he's tall and he kind of uses all that to get the leverage to create that club head speed. But yeah, he's just not really turning very much. And but that's what's so cool when you see these guys. Like, really at the top of the game. Yeah. Like, not just on the tour, but, like, the best guys on tour. Yeah. And they've all got these kind of funky swings. Right. And you're like, well, okay. Doing it their way. Yeah, I had that same thought about Rom when he came on the scene. I was like, well, that's a different look. Like, right. I can't swing the club like that. But here, here's this guy coming out of college beating everybody. It's crazy how the, the tour is getting younger, right? Like, these kids, these Morikawas and Hovlins and Roms, they're not scared. They, they, they come out and they're just automatic. Like, takes them like six months to get to the top 10 in the world and then they just keep winning and it's like wow i don't know you kind of see that across all sports a little bit you know yeah yeah it's true suddenly teenagers are the best at their sport and all kinds of stuff i guess it's because you know like the kids these days you're taking golf or any sport really seriously at an earlier age than maybe we used to in our generation like when i was growing up there were junior golf tournaments and stuff, but I, I, people weren't, like, sending their kids off to some school right. to, like, you know, groom them to be a pro one day or whatever. It just wasn't quite as intense. It's a different world. Yeah. Um, so I read that, um, you know, you're, you guys started in the, in, you know, the New York area, the Metropolitan area. And, yeah. And, uh, but, you're, you're, like, your first, like, tell me about, like, your very first account. Like, how did you land your first account? What, were that, what was that first group? Yeah, we, and, how, and how hard was it to get it? Sure. We, uh, once we had a, a shirt line, which was three styles, and each style had three colors, we had enough, we felt, to go around and, and try to pitch it to some clubs in the New York area. So that's what we did. We, uh, we were persistent in our outreach and got meetings with some good clubs. And luckily, I think one of the reasons we we sort of kept it going in the early days is luckily those early meetings tended to go well. We had uh, a meeting with Grant Sturgeon at Wingfoot before he took the head pro job at Arcola. He was 
the lead assistant at Wingfoot, and I had, I think, the responsibility for the apparel buying. And so that was that before you had any accounts? He was one of the first. The, the first four were Wingfoot, Somerset. Shop of the stars right out of the gate. We did, yeah. We didn't know any better. We just, <laughs> you know, we thought, well, let's go see if we can convince these guys to give it a try. But it was Wingfoot, Somerset Hills, Greenwich Country Club, and... Uh, Waikagil. How long did it take to land Wingfoot? Grant gave us a shot um, in the first meeting. He said, you know, this shirt's interesting. I like what you did with the collar. The fit is different. It's something that our members, I think, will be interested in. There's a certain subset of the membership that'll probably like this, so let's give it a shot. So he, he wrote an order that, that day. So it was a, it was a small order. I think it was something like thirty six shirts. But so when he puts in an order for thirty six shirts, is the idea that okay if these are sitting on the shelf for four months, maybe it's not the best relationship. But if they you know if these are gone in whatever X amount of time, then all right, get back in here. Let's that's, sign another order. That's exactly how it works. They they'll take uh, a shot and put a little order in and see how it goes. And if you know the proof's in the pudding, if the shirts sell and the members who buy them come back and ask for more then then you can keep going but you can't fake it you gotta you gotta if your product's in the shop it's gotta sell through i mean i mean and fortunately that's how it played out for us in those four clubs we we got called back yeah, by all four wow well, hey you know the, the, the shirt sold well the members like them why don't we get another order going and so like we, not enough, we're, right? we're very fortunate to have had that experience because we really that that was a big moment for us in terms of figuring out whether we had something or not and Absolutely. whether we should keep going <laughs> you know I mean, land, landing a logo like like uh wingfoot and, and you know that's got to you know, stick that on a flyer on a website on a brochure pretty quick sure and, and, it, it and gives was, you legitimacy right out of the gate it was you know we 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 felt really lucky to have them uh stocking the brand because then it becomes easier to call some other clubs around the area and around the country and and when they ask well who are you stocking you could say wingfoot or or somerset hills or waikago these these clubs that are really good facilities really really nicely merchandised shops and uh it helped our credibility She was taking a video. Exactly. I know. I think I'm screwing Chris Bagley up because I've, I've been videoing his tee shots. Um, that's fine. Oh, man. Uh, so what do you? Th- I mean, so it's also impressive. So your first four kind of big meetings to try to get in their shop, you knocked it out of the park four for four. I mean, are you guys just really good salespeople, or or was it is it really it was just about the clothes? Well, um, I I do think that John and I have a, a an intense passion for what we're doing and we it was I think it was evident in those meetings that we really believed in the brand and in the shirts that we were showing and we had a pretty good case to make in terms of we were the designers of these shirts but we're also the end customer we're, we're guys who couldn't find what we wanted in a golf shop so here it is we made it and you know that's a, I think a pretty compelling pitch it was back then because nobody was doing what we were doing with the collar and with the fit. Since you since you brought it up, yeah. give me a quick 101 on, let's start with the collar. 
Like, what, what were you doing with Kala that was, that was different? Sure. Yeah, so um, we just thought, you know, when we started designing shirts, one of the things that we thought we could do better was a collar on a golf shirt that stood up nicely and held up over time uh, because we would, you know, back then we were wearing nice woven dress shirts Monday through Friday at our jobs and, and then on the weekends the polo shirt collars that we wore just didn't stand up the same way and didn't look as sharp. So we thought, well, why, why can't we figure that out? So, you know, we, we spent time learning about collar construction, learning about interfacing and other things that you can do to shape a collar to get it to stand up. And um, that was always the goal, is just put a better-looking collar on a shirt and one that holds up over time. And it took, it took a while to get it dialed in. You know, it wasn't easy. So there's a lot more out. to it than just the sewn-in collar stay, lot, which it, is cool. It took us more than 40 prototypes really, wow. to get the collar that we really felt was dialed in and better than anything else we could find. Um, so that, you know, that was something that we were sort of, um, unreasonably passionate about. Like just, I couldn't tell you why, but we were just obsessed with figuring it out. The collar. Yeah. And then what about, you know, let's talk about the, the, the fit, you know, every, you, there's so many clothing, not just golf, but all, you know, all clothing nowadays says, you know, they say tailored fit. Right. Right. I, I would imagine, again, somebody who doesn't know much about the industry, that all tailored fits are not the same. Yeah, no, you're right. It's uh, it's a term that we use very deliberately because what we wanted as guys who are in the sort of small, medium end of the spectrum was stuff that was slim fitting or slimmer than what we could find in golf shops. But we also knew that bigger guys, you know, guys who are more at the XL, double XL end of the size spectrum, didn't want a slim fit they don't want to you know that they, they need some room in the shirt and they want to be sure. comfortable and so we thought well tailored fit encompasses all of that if you think about it we're just tailoring it to look good at a guy on a guy at any point where he is on the size spectrum um, is the was, sleeve the tricky idea. from a personal level i'm six four i'm kind of odd shaping i got a gut but the sleeves i can never find a good sleeve on a pop polo right Right. You know, it's either too wide and you're flopping in the wind, or it's too short. You got, a, you got a white tricep shot. Everybody else, like, hit the damn ball. Go. Oh, baby. Come on. Ah. Almost, almost. Um, yeah, so we think of the sleeve as a good example of our fit, which is it's American tailored. And by that, I mean, it's not European. It's not, you know, uh, a really high sleeve that's cutting off the circulation of your bicep, but it's more cleaned up. It's tailored. It's, it's, it's at any size along the spectrum, it's meant to look clean and, and sort of well-measured on a guy. You know, it's not baggy. And so we did a lot of work in each of our sizes, small through double XL, to, to get that right and to put it on our buddies and, and get feedback and calibrate. It must be a fun process to go through all the prototypes. Like make, you guys literally making like all these different shirts and like that, nah, that one's too baggy and yeah. around here, that one's too tight over here. Yeah. We, we've donated our share of clothing to Goodwill. I'll tell you that. <laughs> John's definitely thinking make here. It was on a really good line. It just took a hard hop left. You know, we've talked about the collar and the fit, but 
another thing that we are relentlessly focused on with the, the product is the fabric and trying to find great fabrics that perform and hold up but also feel great you know you're just excited to wear it and if you're in a hurry in the morning and you just need to throw something on that you you know is going to perform and feel great whether you're playing golf or not we want you to reach for H&B is is that something I would imagine it has to but, but has that changed a lot in seven years or is this the fabric you started with it has evolved um, the fabric we started with um was made by an American mill, actually. Our first production was done domestically, and the fabric mill we worked with down in Lumberton, North Carolina, has since gone out of business. And so we've evolved, and, and we think of our fabric sourcing now as like, let's go find the best version of what we want, regardless of where it's made in the world. So that might be Peru for cottons. It might be South Korea for performance. It's, it might be... Italy for a nice merino wool cashmere, but we're, we're looking to find the best version of anything we do. This is a new tee box. I've never been up here. Wow. We are at 15 feet. What a view. This is the, this is the photo op here. So tell me about your partnership. Like now that you guys, I understand at the beginning, but now seven, eight years into it, how you guys settle into different roles? Like do you guys, yeah. you know, what's, you know, how do you play off each other? Yeah, you have to. Um, we got that kind of counsel early and thought it was funny because in the early days you can kind of do everything together. You know, it was just the two of us when we first started the business and for a couple of years, um, at the beginning and we did everything together. And then as the business grew, we had to start dividing and conquering to a certain extent drink break here for our listeners do you want anything i'm good for now you sure? all right what are we doing here boys can you make it uh three absolutely thank you i can make it seven if you want i think three is adequate for right now right yeah for now i am i love it you like that i love it do you think the waist is too loose on that or do you like that i need it you need it so you wouldn't want that waist to be tighter on that on the quarter on the shirt or the quarter of the quarter personally yeah cover that this yeah. is my what i like no this is perfect card right. when you so that's a good data point john the reason i'm getting specific about that point is we've made it a little looser on purpose yeah that you mind really if i help nice, you but it gets a little clingy gonna, and so clingy what's this open there you go yeah cut a little too close to the body at the waist and we made this decision to like that's all right i don't want things clinging to me right yeah and so we did that and it's been interesting because some guys like you have said thank you this is great i like this better right and then other guys thank you very much he's got the card thank you i like it i like the way it used to be when it was more kind of contoured to my waist and so we're just trying to figure out all right well you know did we go too far making it a little looser or my only complaint with other quarter zips that I have in my closet is when they are too loose and then over time and, and watches or a certain number of going through the, the, the washing machine it becomes permanently like yeah. extended out and all of a sudden you're, wa- you're wearing a dress. Yeah. Right. So Alex was asking about our partnership and I was mentioning that you know early days you kind of do everything together and then as the business grows and the demands of the business 
increase, you're forced to divide and conquer and decide who's going to play leadership in, in which area of the business. And so we've done that. And Alex, you know, broadly is leading product and I'm leaning more towards the operations and finance side. Um, we kind of share the sales and marketing leadership and we both still make all of the important decisions together. Um, and I think the partnership is very important because it gives you somebody who you can bounce ideas off. I find we're often playing the devil's advocate just for the sake of the debate and what you can get out of it. Um, testing our assumptions and making better decisions as a result. So any entrepreneur or person who's thinking about starting a business ask me, you know, one piece of advice I say, find a partner. Because for me, I think Alex would say the same, it's the most critical thing uh, to our success and my enjoyment of what we do every day is just having somebody who I trust completely and who is along this, you know, journey with me. So the partnership's important. But I would imagine, you know, when I think about starting a business or being, you know, having a partnership with one other person, um, you know, there's, there's, there's got to be conflict at some points. It's not, it's, I mean, it's not easy. It's almost like a marriage or a band or, you know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Or, it, is, it is like yeah. a marriage. Yeah. And what, I think the, the, going back to what John was saying, the cool part is we've figured out a way of sort of getting to the heart of issues and having debates or even arguments, if you want to call them that, without having any emotion about it because we both trust each other so much that we know that the only thing we're solving for is what's best for the business. And so even if we disagree, it's in good spirit. And we, we have our way of figuring out uh, a compromise or, or who's going to have the final call on a decision now. And, and it's, it took time to develop that, but now that we've got it, I think it's a real strength. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. These greens are pretty nice. Yeah. Smoother than I would have expected. All right, everybody's warmed up. Sun's a little higher. Time to, time to make some birdies, boys. Well, pricing's funny, and it's essentially an illusion in a way, right? It's just what a person is willing to pay for a thing, which has to do with their perceived value, which is the quality of the thing itself, and maybe some other things that have nothing to do with the product itself, like where it's being sold or what it might say about them as a person to wear, and that gets into the branding aspect. So that's a bit philosophical or whatever, but, you know, price is an interest. It's a funny thing, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird science because, for sure, there's market uh, research that you have to do when you're going to launch anything to say, you know, are we trying to be competitive with similar things in our primary distribution channel, golf shops, and then look at what look at what that means. There's also a cost side, 
So some people go pretty strict cost up. Cost me 20 bucks to make, I sell it for 40 or whatever. And you have to be aware of your cost because you have to have pretty strict margin targets and stick to them and not make anything if you can't produce it at a cost that works within your structure at a what you deem to be a market clearing price. So you're kind of going back and forth because you don't know what the cost of a thing is going to be when you first start making it. You have to do some work to get there. You can communicate where you think you're going to price the thing. But it's a... Have you ever had throughout your journey, or maybe very early on, uh, where you went to market and decided, oop, that was... Price that too little or too No, much? I think in general we probably are giving it away to a certain extent. We put a lot of money into our product intentionally um, because we really care about making, uh, the way I say it is, something that deserves to exist on its own and relative to what it's competing against, the alternative product. So to do that, you got to invest, whether it's real trocha shell buttons instead of plastic, or whether it's the money we spend on the interfacing and Say that word again, trocha shell. It's, a, it's like a like a mother of pearl kind of alternative. Um, the button. Yeah. So they're real shell buttons. Um, is that us there? I thought it'd be better than that. Titleist one, yeah. This is a one with a dot. Okay. Big hitter, the llama. But I think, if anything, we've tended to be a little more timid with price than we could be. And it's because we want everyone to feel like there's a real value there, you know? Really would not want someone to feel like they overpaid for a thing. Charge you for that bag? Uh, it was like 80 bucks or something. Oh. Finding the, uh, I, was, uh, I was looking for a while for the red, white, and blue to try to stay on brand a little bit. Right. Mine might have been slightly different because it was navy instead of like a royal blue, but it was the same sort of. And I also had one of those in on my high school team. Oh yeah. I wasn't good enough to play in college, but I played high school golf, and and that's I think where I get my loyalty to that exact model of ping bag is because my grind years just playing until it was pitch black outside that that's what i was carrying around and you said earlier what part north carolina what part of north carolina greensboro greensboro yeah which is a really big you know sort of golf there's a lot of golf in greensboro there's a strong culture uh the pga tour stops been there forever and yeah there are great clubs and even the public facilities, Bryan Park and some other public golf around the area is really, really good. And then you're hour and a half from Pinehurst. So yep. if you play junior golf, you're down there a lot, and it's it's hard not to catch the bug. What was your home course growing up? I, I, I haven't played in Greensboro, so I probably won't know it, but for the, for the listeners. Yeah, uh, Greensboro Country Club. Uh, okay. And I was really lucky because I lived a few blocks away, so I could, you know, I didn't need my parents to drive me over there. I could just grab my bag and walk and try to get out so uh they have two golf course facilities there's an in-town course which is an old donald ross and it's not a long golf course it's it's 
probably 5,300, 55 tipped out. So the defense is the greens, right? It's a classic Ross. It's got all the wicked fast turtle backs. And um, it was fun growing up on that golf course because you had to learn how to manage positioning and, and, you know, try not to three putt if you're above the hole type golf. And then they've got an out-of-town facility. It used to be called Carlson Farms. Now I think they just call it the farm. And it's a great golf course. It got renovated uh, a few years ago by Donald Steele, and, and it's it's more of a sort of championship course. It's a bigger, heftier course. It's a good test. So you guys have just mentioned uh, kind of your roles, and it sounds like you're you're more of the product focus um, than John. Um, you know, we know shirts, we know polos, we know pullovers. But, you know, perusing your website, you got, you got a lot more than that. Yeah. We, we feel like on the product front, we're just getting started. We, yeah. We're proud of what we've designed and brought to the market thus far. But, you know, it's early days for us as a brand, I think, in terms of what we're capable of and what we want to eventually do. Like, what, where could you grow into? Like, I saw you got some accessories, you got some bags, you got some shorts, you got... Yeah, well, the shorts are a good first step for us into the bottoms category. So we have a pant coming out in the fall. We'll be doing a lot more in that space. That'll be, our, first, that'll be your first pant? Yeah, exactly. And so the, the first version of the short and the pant are a cotton blend, sort of a best of both worlds type fabric where it feels and looks like cotton. It's nice and lightweight, but it has performance characteristics and stretch as well. Uh, and then we'll have a pure tech short and pant next year, and then we'll, we'll do more in that category. We'd love to do corduroys for fall and other things like that. So Awesome. Sit down. It was the right idea. Great looking shot. Oh. 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 Very bad. What's the, the, yeah, the Lincoln? I don't think you see for the. Jefferson and Washington, yeah. When we play the white course later, that's actually over there, so it's all, like all right, right, up, right up in your face. More recently, in recent last few years, with you know social media taking off, but also. Uh, it's just becoming more and more easier for people to kind of start their own brands. Sure. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to start, you know, creating your own clothes like you have, but have you seen a lot more kind of upstart competitors pop up in the space just in the last few years? Yeah, we've seen a few. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, we, we celebrate that, right? It's cool. It's, uh, it's fun to, to have an opportunity uh, as an entrepreneur to go out and create something and I think it's cool that it is easier now than it ever has been to get something going and use social media and the new way of marketing to, to build up an audience and get people excited about it uh, but it's still tough to run a business you know it's it's not right. uh, the fundamentals of running a good business haven't changed and that that's hard work that's old fashioned work you know you can use the new tools to get the word out and We've certainly benefited from Instagram and some of these other platforms, but it, uh, I don't think it's changed the game so significantly in just the fundamentals of how you've got to build uh, everything underneath the marketing. And, and we care about marketing, but we, we think of it as we, let's, let's focus more on the steak than the sizzle. Yeah. So we're really thinking about product quality and excellent customer service and you know the old-fashioned fundamentals and then if we can do some nice marketing about the brand and 
how we... Okay, where do we go? The possible Maybe. we're over there. For sure. Maybe. That's... Yeah, there is a group coming up this way, so... Are you are the you know we're not we're not seeing Alex's game today because of the hurt wrist, but well, are, 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 are your golf games comparable or is one? Yeah, no, we're 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 pretty much we're both round of five index. We're both capable of terrible golf and okay Yeah, fair enough. Get through there. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't have much game to begin with, but it, my game really deteriorates. When I'm playing with people that I want to talk to, right, right, and that, well, and and not just, but like people I'm meeting for the first time, especially, and want to talk to. Yep. yep. Then like I pay like zero attention to my golf game. Yeah. And a lot of the chances John and I get to play golf, it's because there's a good business reason to do it. So mm -hmm. we're in that mode that you just described. We're right. we're trying to not sell or market the brand, but just develop relationships and get to know guys and. And then it leads to some pretty mediocre golf swings, but you know that's life. So what? So the um, the PGA show. Um, I've been a few times. This year was the first year I went in like five or six years. Yeah. Um, what was interesting about this year is there's all this talk about the big OEM and club manufacturers skipping it, and you know COVID was a big reason, but also because a lot of their orders are and their orders were already filled. Sure. You know, there's rumors that, you know, maybe those kind of companies don't need the PGA show anymore, you know, um, you know that they're coming back. But I'm curious, how different is that for clothing? Because you guys seem to have a pretty large booth and were unbelievably busy when I stopped by. Yeah. Well, the way we approached the PGA show this year in terms of first making a decision whether to attend or not um, was to just ask our customers. You know, we, we, we sent a survey out to our Greengrass relationships and, and asked them if they were going to be attending and whether they wanted to see Holderness and Bourne and write orders with us there and uh, the overwhelming response was yes. Not everybody said yes, but more than half the folks who responded said yeah, we'll be there and we'd, we'd love to get some business done. So, you know, it's, it's in line with our view, our culture of customer service. If they say they're going to be there, well, we work for them. So we're going to make their lives easier and we're going to show up and um, so my hearing is that, is that more existing accounts more than signing up new ones? That's that's how we think of it, but we did benefit from a number of new accounts stopping by, and they'd heard about the brand, they were excited to see us in person, and a lot of those accounts wrote their first orders with us at the show. So nice. we benefited from that for sure. That's cool. Yeah, you got to get sure that I've ever seen it that far back. It is interesting to observe this evolving perception of the PGA show maybe not being necessary or relevant because we do get asked a lot by other brands or even some of our Greengrass accounts, you know, are you guys going to keep doing it? Is this going to still be a thing? Because there were a lot of people saying maybe it won't be anymore. And um, honestly, even with that survey we did, it was a bit of a leap of faith to put the money down and build a big booth and fly all of our sales guys in and mm -hmm. show up properly because you know and, and it happened with the omicron variant that came out sort of late a lot of the people who had said on the survey that we sent out that they would be attending ended up not attending and so it was it took it took it was a gut check moment to to pony up for it and do it but it turned out to be a good decision because so it, it, you, you it, it paid for itself yeah nice yeah because that yeah, you, you, you had I mean, a classy us, booth and a, and a lot yeah. of guys, a lot of 
Yeah, it's not cheap to do it the way we, we want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it absolutely paid for itself. And I think it sort of delivered the message we wanted, which is we're a golf brand. We're, we're going to be there. If the thing's happening and, and pros and buyers are going down to do business, we will be there to service them. Nice. There you go, bags. Is there a uh, nice playing ability test before you get hired at, at no, man. Uh, there, some of our guys are sticks. You're seeing them, but um, we've got a few that are less handy with a golf club. <laughs> Very handy with client relationships and selling. Right. As I listen to them talk about the logo, um, your logo is not prominent on the front chest like so many other brands. Right. Um, what was, you know, was that the case at the beginning? Is it always been the case? Like, what was the decision there? Yes. We were, that was always the case, and it was just a sense between John and myself that we'd sort of grown out of wearing the critter polos. You know, we had that phase of life in college and just after college where you're wearing a certain type of polo shirt. You're, and then you get older and you start to dress in a little more sophisticated way. You start to upgrade your wardrobe. And you just don't tend to see logos on grown men. And, you know, it's like we're not NASCAR racers. And right, right. So why would we put a logo all over something? Um, that's not how we dress Monday through Friday. Not necessarily how we want to dress on the weekend. Maybe you can wear your club logo or a mm-hmm. Pebble Beach logo if you were fortunate to go play out there and you want, you know, to remember that. But we just had an attitude that... Um, building a brand around a logo was kind of the antithesis of what we wanted to do. We wanted the styling of the shirt, the collar, the fit, the stripes, the colors to, to speak for themselves and be the thing yeah. as opposed to having a logo uh, that we put on the left chest or something like that. And the other angle I would tell you is that we launched from day one as a golf brand, so we didn't want to take that real estate. If we're going to come and pitch a green grass account to stock the brand, it shouldn't be uh, a point of contention where our logo is going to be versus where their logo is going to be. We just figured, let's let them put their logo where they want it, left Mm -hmm. chest, left sleeve, whatever they want, and our logo can stay out of the way. You know, on the shirts, there isn't an external logo, and on the layering pieces, it's on your back between the shoulder blades, very low-key, tonal embroidery. Mm -hmm. It's not shouting at you it's more of a whisper than shout type approach you said you, you started you know from day one as a golf brand have, have you started to um creep into other markets or, or no are you we, still just in golf it's it's just golf it's we, we we don't have any intention of losing our focus on being a golf brand it's it's been fun to build a brand that's authentic to the game john and i love the game and we know what we're doing in this space, and we don't really care to look beyond golf anytime soon. We're, we're happy to be uh, building the brand, working with Greengrass facilities. And, you know, if you look at our Instagram, we're celebrating what we think is cool in the game of golf, cool places, cool characters. And uh, that's a lot of fun for us because we have true passion for it. So um, that'll be how we continue to build a brand into the future. Well, it's also interesting, but the timing of when you got started in 20, I'm going to get all the years off because the timeline is all my memory is terrible and it all blends together. But in 2015, you know, there was articles, a lot of articles written about how golf's dead, or maybe it was a little later than that, but, you know, 
certainly during the time timeline sure. that you've been around. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, was it's, that uh, give you pause at all to start a golf brand? No, I guess we were a little bit brick-headed about it in the early days. We didn't care. We, we knew that golf was alive and well amongst uh, our groups of friends and, and people we knew who um, were going to keep playing the game. And um, we just loved it and didn't really think as much about, you know, any sort of business aspect of it in terms of whether the game was growing or not. Nice strike. You hit the snot out of that thing. A common theme at some point in every every one of these podcasts is talking about the the last two years and kind of the explosion of, of, of golf again. Right. And how that's impacted your world. Yeah. Well, it's it's an odd thing to have a pandemic create a tailwind for your business, but that's certainly been the case for everybody in the golf industry and we're no exception to it. Um, it's been hard to keep up, honestly. The really? golf facilities are busy, and I think in addition to that, guys who used to wear our sort of styles, polo shirts, quarter zips on the weekend, now they're wearing that stuff seven days a week. So right. the shop sales are up, and that's all been to our benefit. The, the hard part is keeping up. Yeah. You know the supply chain stories that you the supply chain stories that you hear about or read about in the newspaper are, are very real for us. It's hard to get product shipped on time from your factories, and it's it's just as hard to get it here um, because freight is still very difficult. That's so well publicized, though. I mean, are most of your accounts pretty understanding of that, or does that cause some friction? No, they're very understanding, and, and our goal is to be... Our goal is to manage that dynamic as aggressively as we can. Um, by that, I mean, you know, there are situations where we'll choose to bring some product in via air freight as opposed to ocean freight. Even though it's more expensive, it's the right move for our business because it helps us keep these shops in stock and we can be more responsive in season if accounts want a fill-in order or an event that they need to find a tea gift for and so that's the kind of decision we we make um and we'll you know we're hoping that the delays that are happening with factories and with freight can improve it's not it's not good right now though it hasn't gotten any better in 2022 the world is still pretty stuck up um with delays you know so it's been the most challenging aspect of building the business over the past couple years with covid has just been when did that really start impacting you the, the supply chain issues was that pretty quickly after covid started yes yeah 2020 um, we started to have some issues with factories that were forced to shut down due to local regulations and so forth. We had a stretch in 2020 where our warehouse was forced to shut down in April because of the New York State pause order that the governor put in place. So we, we were unable to operate for a little while. And fortunately, that didn't last more than a few weeks. But uh, there have been all kinds of challenges like that 
just to navigate operationally through the pandemic. I love it. That was a hell of a rip. This is where I just, I just, you know, I get stuck in my own head with like 20 different ideas of how to play a shot. That's hunting. That could be real good. Oh, no. I think it's just barely on the back. No, there. I still see it. Nice shot, John. Yeah. Too much juice. Good swing, man. Too much this is a good swing. Sometimes you take it easy, but you just catch it so sweet. But it's working so far. And the bank line of credit thing is good too because you you know you're on the hook. You got to pay that back. Um, and it's just it's a kind of fun little game every year. You know, around this time you're borrowing a lot because you've paid for all your inventory and you haven't sold it yet. And it's just like this time of year you're just hustling to get the money back and it forces you to have a really good invoicing process and you know check checking back in with your account so you can collect efficiently and we i think you know partly because pga professionals within their professional uh code are very high integrity high accountability professionals we benefit from a really good payment rate i think they're on the flip side of that, there are definitely some usually kind of like pro-owned shops, especially if there's a high degree of like seasonality where they don't have a lot of support and they're very busy during, it's almost like you just, you could see their desk and you could see that there's just a place where they put the invoices. And then in the fall, when things slow down in the winter, they, they like, you know, pour themselves a scotch and deal with all their invoices. And you just see that, you know, and so they're, and we're very understanding we can support that as long as it's not too much um so it's a it's a mix but like we have a metric called average days payable uh which is in these various buckets so current means you're within your 30-day terms and then you've got you know zero to 30 days past due 31 to 60 days past due etc different bug oh yeah different buckets and if you multiply the midpoint of that by the percentage of your total receivables that are in that bucket you get and then you sum that all up you get a number of days that your average invoice is and our average days payable right now is four which is amazing um it goes it it ebbs and flows but on average because 80 percent of our Ours are are current, which is a zero, you know, and then very little is ninety plus. So we're we're we have a very good customer base, is what I would say. Here's a bunch of balls. What's that? Uh, we use an accounting firm that uses QuickBooks on our behalf, but they plug into all of our banking software. That must be exciting. Everything the where where does Yale? golf course stand right now they announced they're going to do everything yeah gill's coming in to touch it up and i don't think you have to hit that by the way well you could you know you could jar it yeah he hasn't gotten started yet no but the course was overgrown in 2020 they didn't do anything and uh so it's back now it's back now to being maintained which is good and i don't know the timing uh, of the whole project, but it's happening. So in business school, that was like your home course. Yeah, it's $12 student rate. 
and then after a while we just started getting waved in they were like go ahead Oh yeah. Get in. Woo. All right. Good shot. I got you. You know what? After a shot like that, you get you get caddy treatment. Yeah. Yeah, wife, two kids. Um a seven month old. Yeah, yeah, well, if you're gonna do it, do it right, man. I'm still not happy with this job, but how old are you kids? Seven month old daughter. So I'm right there with you. And uh four-year-old boy and uh, it's a lot you know and there are parallels between raising kids and building a business where the early phase is very like make sure they're still breathing wonder if they're going to make it through the night there are constant questions about just basic viability of life and then they get older and not so worried that they're going to die overnight, but you are worried they're going to bump their head or do something stupid. And then I imagine I'm not there with my kids or our business, but, you know, bigger kids, bigger problems. I don't have a good golf game. But I don't really care. I'm a I'm a regular dude living in D.C. and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf. 